Well, good morning, 11 a.m. service. Yeah, we're excited. Hey, those of you watching online, we're so glad to have you with us as well. And if you are a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And we are so glad to have you with us. If you are a guest, we, we hope and pray that you feel part of our family today. Honestly and truly, we invite you in. We're so glad to have you. Uh, these are the moments in our services where we gather around this book. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that this book that was written thousands of years ago has just as much relevance for us today. And so we look to these moments as a community to come around this book, to learn more about who God is, to learn more about how to follow Jesus and to how to be led by the spirit of God each and every day. And so we cherish these moments as we get to open his word. And so I wanna invite you to do that right now. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Jonah. We're gonna be in the Old Testament and the minor prophet of Jonah. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about that. We'll have the scriptures up on the screens. And while you're turning there, let me remind you a bit of where we are. We are in the midst of a summer series. We're having the opportunity to hear from a number of different voices. We had uh, Taylor Ford spoke last week and did an absolutely incredible job. So good to hear from Taylor. Yes, we can give him a hand. Such a good word. Uh, next week, we have Joel Parker will be in the house to speak. Big fan of Joel in the back. All right. And then Pastor Lance Powers will be here after that. Oh, oh, okay. Come on, we gotta keep it even, okay? Yeah! I don't know if that's gonna come through online, but that was really funny for us, at least in here. Uh, but what about this summer series that I think is so great is that it really gives us an opportunity to get before God and say, God, what is the word that you would have for our church? God, what do you want to say right now? And as I prayed that, as I, as I leaned into that thought, I was, I was drawn to the book of Jonah. And so I want to read this together. Uh, we're, we're actually gonna read the whole first chapter. So if you missed church last week, we're about to make up for it right now. All 17 verses, all right? You guys ready for that? Okay, here we go. And the word of the Lord says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amita, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil had come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew even more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This weekend as a church, I want us to, to look at this big idea of the pattern for human flourishing. The pattern for human flourishing. Let's take a moment, let's pray, let's get our hearts ready and right before God as we hear from him. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. Father, we thank you that we get to have this moment where we come together. Father, this moment where we can hear from you. And Lord God, what I know is that online and in the room this morning, there are so many distractions going on. Father God, I know right now our hearts and our heads are in so many different places, but Lord, I pray that right now you would quiet them so that we could have a moment with you. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts to receive from you what you would have for us today. Father, we love you, we thank you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. For those of you who don't know, my wife and I, we had a baby boy this past May, May 18th. And I'm gonna show you a picture of him. This is, this is Otto James. I swear he's gonna be there. Oh, there he is. That is Otto James, right? Thank you for applauding my sleep deprivation. That means a lot. Yes, this is my son, Otto James, and he has been such a delight for our family. He's been a really, really a good baby. And although he's been a good baby, things have still been a little bit hectic around our house, not because of Otto, but because of another individual that we have running around our house. We can throw that, oh yeah, that is, that is a story in Noel, and I think that that picture captures her essence perfectly. She is wild and she is spirited and she's crazy at times and she's got the whole head tilt and she is in this stage of life where she's quite disobedient, to just to be honest. She just turned two last Friday and so we're kind of, we're navigating this season and it's a little bit difficult. It kind of drives us crazy and one of the hardest parts about bringing Otto into the mix is Astoria, she likes to hit him. I don't know why, but she thinks it's fun to kind of give him a smack and then run out of the room before we can get her. And so we tell her over and over, story, don't hit your brother, don't hit your brother, please don't hit your brother, story, you know, don't hit your brother, please. And I catch myself getting so deeply frustrated because she just won't listen. She just won't be obedient. And so we're at this weird stage where we're trying to figure out, should we just sit at home and suffer 
Or do we actually dare go out in public with this little girl who is like a ticking time bomb? You just never know when she's going to have a meltdown. And so, like right now, if you were to call our family and say, Daniel, we'd love to go out to dinner with you and your family. Here's what you're asking of me. Hello, Daniel, would you like to spend $50 to run around a restaurant chasing your daughter, trying to keep her out of the kitchen where inevitably she will have a meltdown and you will maybe get to eat cold food? That's what you're asking of me. I mean, the meltdowns are all the time when she doesn't get her way, when I tell her to do something and she doesn't want to do it, she does the whole meltdown. You know, like the arch their back thing? They smack their head. Where, where are the families with young kids? Can you raise your hand? Can we minister to one another for a moment? Is not what we're doing insane? I mean, it is just absolutely crazy trying to get these little humans to do what we want them to do. And so on the spectrum of, you know, of obedience, my daughter doesn't even... She's not even close. She's on the spectrum of disobedience. And so if the spectrum starts over here, and let's say this is ultimate disobedience, so my daughter's like probably right here. (laughs) And then on the spectrum, if you were to go over here, this might be where you assume a prophet would be. Obedient, right? I mean, a, a prophet, someone who God has called Someone who God has said, hey, here's your role. This is your job. You are a prophet from God. You are going to speak the words that I give you. You might assume that a prophet would be obedient, but as we read our text today, not even Jonah is obedient to God. Now, that kind of worries me because if a prophet of God cannot be obedient to God, what hope do I have? Uh, What hope do we have in being obedient? But I think if we read this text, the, the Lord wants to draw something out of this that I think can deeply help us in our pursuit of obedience. And so the story begins by Jonah getting a, a commissioning, a given responsibility from God. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to call out against it. Nineveh had, they were an evil city, a brutal city, and and God said, I I need you to go and call them out on their stuff. And what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat, heads down to Tarshish, which is about as far away as Nineveh as you can get. Now, before you get too negative on Jonah, there's a few things that you should probably know about this call. Up until this point, There had never been a prophet of God who was called to give a word to a group of people outside of Israel. I mean, every other prophet, it was, hey, this tribe of Israel, you need to go and and tell them to repent. This was a very unique situation. No prophet had been asked this, to actually go outside Israel and tell another nation, not the children of God, that their errors and their sins have come before God and he wants them to repent. And we're not going to dive too far into it, but in chapter four, we actually begin to get some clarity as to why Jonah did what he did. And you know what his ultimate fear was? He was fearful that God would have mercy on them, that God would have grace on them. And so Jonah, he flees to Tarshish. And what does the word tell us? It says God brings a storm on the boat. And so Jonah, he's trying to sleep in the boat. He's trying to flee the presence of God. And the storm brews up. And so the captain ends up going down and says, hey, you sleeper, wake up. You know, cry out to your God. We're in a tough situation here. And so they, they call Jonah out and they do what was customary at the time. They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. 
So they begin to ask him questions. What's your story? Who's your people? Tell us about what you're doing. And Jonah says this in verse nine. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah says, I fear the Lord. Now, what does it mean when he says, I fear the Lord? When you read that word fear in the Old Testament, you need to think this. It's a deep reverence of God. It's a deep honor and worship of God. I fear God. But how can Jonah fear God and simultaneously flee his presence? I mean, how can you say that you worship God, you honor God, you have this deep respect for God, yet you're not willing to actually abide by what he's asked of you? What's funny is that even these these sailors on the boat who do not follow after God, they realize the dichotomy of this situation. They realize how ridiculous it sounds. They even say this in, in verse 10. They say, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What is it that you have done? You're gonna sit here and tell us that you fear the Lord You're gonna tell us he was the God who created the sea and now you're going to disobey him and you're going to get on a boat. What are you doing? Now, as much as we might sit here today and say, yeah, what was Jonah thinking? I hate to break it to us, but I think we have a lot more in common with Jonah than we may want to admit. You see, I think that we as human beings, we have also been given some commissionings or some some given responsibilities from God. I think about uh, in Genesis chapter one, this idea of of God creating the heavens and the earth and creating humanity and and saying, go and and multiply and, and, and cultivate the earth and be my image bearers throughout creation. In essence, saying, take on the character of God and then go display that to the world around you. That is your responsibility as a human being. How are you doing with that? Or we look to the words of Jesus. He says, if you were to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. How are you doing with that responsibility? Because we're really good at denying ourselves, aren't we? Or what about that moment when you stood on maybe a platform like this under a nice little wooden thing, and you looked into the eyes of your spouse, and you said, I will love you, I will care for you, in sickness and in health, I will take care of you. And you step into this communion, this, this covenantal relationship with God. Friends, how are you doing with that responsibility that you have to your spouse? Men, let me pick on you for a moment. Ephesians chapter five. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? How are you doing with that commissioning, that responsibility? Or the countless responsibilities we have as parents? The responsibilities that we have to love one another, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. See, we have a lot of these responsibilities too, and oftentimes we find ourselves in the same pattern as Jonah. Here's the responsibility. You might come in on a Sunday morning, you hear someone stand up here, they read the word, God says this to us, now go and do, and then what do we do? We go and do what we want to do. And so I think there's this basic pattern that we see in the story of Jonah. We can throw that up there. 
It's this basic pattern of there's a commissioning or a given responsibility. And then oftentimes, for Jonah, it led right into disobedience to that. And then ultimately, there's consequence and there's discipline. But I really think a more typical pattern for us might look more like this. There's a commissioning or a given responsibility, and we are obedient for a while. But after a while, you, you know, you come to church and you, you hear some good things and you, we do a, a series on marriage. And so in that moment, you're obedient to what it looks like and you're trying your hardest and things are good. But what begins to happen? We begin to drift. And the drift leads to disobedience, which leads to consequence, which leads to discipline. So we might ask ourselves this morning, well, what causes the drift? I mean, is that not what we need to figure out here, right? What, what causes us to drift? If we, if we hear the word of God and we know what he wants us to do and we find ourselves not doing it, well, what's the problem? And there might be a lot of different components, but I think if you actually boil it down, what it comes down to is this, that disobedience stems from disbelief. Disobedience stems from disbelief. You don't actually believe God's vision for human flourishing is true. That's what it comes down to. You don't believe that God's vision for humanity, God's vision for human flourishing is truth. And so you attempt to do it in your own power, in your own way, because you think that my vision for myself and what I want is what's going to lead me to happiness and contentment. But it's broken. It, it doesn't work. And so until we have worked through this, we've really processed through our drifting, we will continue in that typical pattern. And so I looked at the words of, of King Solomon. Now, now, King Solomon was David's son, and he was known, had immense amounts of wisdom, known as the wisest man who ever lived. He had wisdom, he had power, he had authority, he had wealth, he had women, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I don't know where the wisdom part plays into all that, but it's what the word says, so I just say, what, say it as it is. So power, authority, he's got, you know, I mean, everything that even we try to get to, to do, right? We want wealth and we want authority, we want power. And here's what he would tell you. Those of you who are on that pattern of life, looking for your own vision for flourishing through those things, he would say this. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. So here's my story, here's what I've done, here's what I've had, here's my conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. I had women, I had money, I had status, I had authority, I had power, I had all of these things. Here's what it comes down to. Fear God and obey his commands. That is the essence of human flourishing. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 73. He, he says these words. You made me, you created me, now give me the sense to follow your commands. It might be one of my new favorite passages for this month. It's this idea of you know me, you created me, you gave me my personality, you gave me my giftings, you gave me my abilities, you know everything about me, you know the vision for life that is going to be the most rewarding for me. So for the love of all things, God, please give me the wisdom to do as you say. 
But even then, we don't. Because we're stubborn. Because there's still this innate part of us that thinks we can do it on our own. There's still this belief that's deep down in there that says, you know, Solomon got all those things and he realized that. Well, you should just keep attempting to get all those things so you can come to that conclusion. But see, that's why we have the word of God so we don't have to play that game. We can let these individuals make some of these mistakes so that we can say, okay, God, I'm reading through your word. Give me the wisdom to do what it says. So what do we, what do we need? I think... I think we need to be swallowed by a fish. <laughs> uh, you see, I think that the fish is there for so much more than just Jonah's protection. There's so many ways that Jonah could have been saved. I mean, remember, they're, they're throwing things off the boat. It's like Swiss Family Robinson going on, right? There's debris in the water. He could have grabbed hold of a, of a crate of some sort and floated into, into the shores. But that's the thing. That's not what God needed to happen. God needed a fish to come. God appointed a fish. Why did God appoint a fish? Because God needed Jonah to go into a dark place, a quiet place. He needed to remove Jonah from his normal life. He needed to remove Jonah from some of the mental patterns that he was in. He needed to get him into that space so that Jonah might begin to actually do some reflection on himself. And we see in Jonah chapter two, that's what happens. Jonah chapter two is Jonah beginning to make these realizations about himself. He begins to understand a bit of his disobedience. But that came because of this, this time of withdrawal in the fish. Scriptures tell us that, that Jesus oftentimes had times of withdrawal. He would withdraw to a desolate place. Now, I'm just gonna throw it out there. If Jesus needed to withdraw, how much more do we need to withdraw? How much more do we need to step away? Now, when we think about withdrawing, well, what does that even mean? How do I withdraw? And so what I wanted to do is I want to give us some components of withdraw. And, and before we do so, I want to, I want to look at a, a flourishing pattern. If we throw that graphic up there, I want you just to visual learners. So this would be, well, I might say, is a flourishing pattern where you have a responsibility or a commissioning, you walk into obedience, and then you withdraw and you return to obedience. You withdraw and you return to obedience. There's a, there's a rhythm in this. The withdraw is what limits the drift. And so how do we withdraw? What does it look like? I think the first component of withdrawal is to create critical distance. We must get away from false cultural narratives. We must get away from false cultural narratives. Some of you in this room have believed the lie that your pornography addiction will not affect your marriage. That is a lie. There are some of us in this room who have believed this lie that our identity is wrapped up in our work or that our value is wrapped up in our abilities. Those are lies that you need to gain some critical distance from. Or, or what about the lie of consumerism? 
Some of us have believed the lie of I can just keep getting and getting and getting, I would find ultimate satisfaction. It, it doesn't work. I was reading an article a week ago about your digital image. And have you ever, have you ever been scrolling online and an ad pops up and you're like, oh my gosh, my phone is listening to me? Have you ever had that sensation? Okay, supposedly your phone's not listening to you. I don't know if I buy it, but that's what the article says. But here's what the article does say. It says that ad company, marketing company, technology companies are just watching what you do online and they are capturing all that data to create a digital image of you. So when you post on Facebook, you think you're just posting your friends. No, no, they're watching what you're posting. And they're, they're adding that to your digital image. They watch what you Google. They watch what you, your, your search history, your internet history. And here's why they're doing that. So they can push to you ads to tell you what you need to be satisfied. For example, they say uh, if someone searches for a mortgage and then soon after searches for a vacation, they have come to the conclusion that they're probably about to have a baby. Because what do you do, right? If I found out I'm pregnant. Well, we need to get a bigger house and we should go on a really good final vacation. I mean, you're laughing, but inside you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Because what they know is, okay, they, so they'll start pushing you ads for baby stuff. You know what the article said? I, I thought this was so disturbing to me. It says that oftentimes an ad agency knows you're pregnant before your mom knows. Another example, they said if you search online for vacations, oftentimes they're going to start pushing ads for what? Diet pills. Because why? You're going on vacation. You want to lose about 10 or 15, right? That's just how it works. So these ad and marketing companies are literally every single day as you just scroll through whatever it is that you're scrolling through, there's ads all over it just trying to tell you what you need to flourish in life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want some ad agency telling me what I need to be successful as a human being created in God's image. So I need some critical distance from those things so I can get into the word of God and have him tell me what I need. And by the way, oftentimes we tell people not to believe certain lies, but can I encourage you, don't tell someone to not believe a lie that you yourself believe. I mean, we might tell people, hey, you don't need to buy those things. You know, your, your satisfaction comes in God. Okay, do you believe that actually? Because if we looked at your checking account, it might speak otherwise. So consumerism, that's, that's a lie. We gotta get away from that. What about the lie of, of individualism? This idea of march to the beat of your own drum. Do what feels right to you. Follow your, your heart, follow your passions. That's a lie. We have to distance ourselves from that. What about the, this idea of a, achievement? If I just get this, or if I get the job, or if I get the house, or if I get that spouse, there's this sense, oh yeah, that's where it'll come from. It's a lie. It does not work. It will lead you to brokenness. So as people, we need to step away. We need critical distance in order to what? I think the second point of withdrawal is contemplation. See, many of us never get to contemplation 
We never get to confronting our own brokenness, confronting our sins, our own anxieties, and our own fears because we're just so focused on consuming. Why? Because if we consume, it distracts us from actually having to deal with ourselves. But we need this moment. You need to confront your own brokenness. You need to confront your sins. You need to confront your fears. You need to confront your anxieties. That is a part of this faith journey for us is to get real with ourselves. You need times of contemplation. My father, a number of years ago, he got ill. And it was a tough time for our family. And my dad, when I, when I was uh, really, really early on in my life, he was a pastor and then he became a full-time missionary. He's been a full-time missionary for 30 plus years. My dad would travel about 160 days out of the year just preaching the word, going all over the world, just sharing about Jesus. About a number of years ago, he just got ill. Just illness after illness after hospitals. I mean, it was, it was bad. But you know, that time was actually a time of withdrawal for my dad. In fact, my mom shares stories about how she would come home from work and my dad would be sitting in his chair with his Bible open, just sobbing. Because now that he wasn't on the road, he wasn't out doing ministry, he could actually sit down and have some ministry done to himself. And because of that moment, my dad is a better husband now than he's ever been before. He's a better father now than he ever was before. And it's not easy. See, the contemplation's hard. Contemplation's when you actually start to look to see who you really are. But the beautiful part about God is that it doesn't end in contemplation. No, see, God wants us to, over, to see our brokenness, and then he wants us to, I think, the third component, which is communion. He wants us to commune with him. He wants us to, to get with him. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to, as Psalms 119 would say, I've considered my ways and I've turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. So we have that time where we, we view ourselves, we consider our ways, and then we move into a time of communion with Christ, understanding our true identity in him. Understanding how he sees us, understanding his vision for our life. Being comforted by who he is. That's where the, the practices and the experiences that we have in, in Rooted become so important to us because we have times where we commune with God through worship and through word and through prayer, through community. Uh, you know that as we had this great time of worship this morning, you know that this is not the only time we're supposed to worship? You know, I, I invite you tomorrow to worship. I invite you on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and, and we just, we, to live a life of communing with Christ through worship. You know, we can pray outside of this room that we need to have times and we need to have moments where we just get before God. We open up this book and we just, okay, God, speak to me, encourage me. I wanna commune with you. But again, it's got to begin with that critical distance. From that critical distance, it's got to begin with that inward contemplation. And then once we realize the reality of where we're at, we can read what God says about it. Okay, you now know your brokenness, you know your fears, you know your anxieties. Now let me draw you to a better place. 
Let me draw you to a better place. Let me draw you to my vision for human flourishing. I've said this statement at every service and I always get nervous before I do. But I'm gonna say it. If you are not disciplined to withdraw, withdraw will become discipline. If you are not disciplined to have intentional times where you withdraw to have these moments, withdraw will become discipline. See, God loves you too much to watch you for far too long chase after your vision. He just loves you too much. He's just not willing to to watch you just continue to make poor decision to be disobedient after disobedient. Eventually, he'll say, listen, it's gotta be enough. That's what he did for Jonah. Listen, Jonah, here comes the fish. I'm gonna have to bring this upon so that you will actually have a moment to really realize that you're chasing after something that's never gonna lead you where you wanna go. Scripture would tell us Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He disciplines those he loves. As a father, I had a, my parents had a custom-made spanking stick while I was growing up. <laughs> it was blue had a, the paddle part was about this big and then it had a handle. And in the handle it actually had fingerprint groove marks. That's kind of weird, right? I've always thought that was a little over the top. But painted on this paddle said these words, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son is careful to discipline him. Whack. <laughs> but how many of us know that we need those times? We need those times where the Lord's discipline where he just says, hey, listen, I gotta have you have this moment of withdrawal so you can really begin to have that time so that you can begin to walk into the abundant life that I've called you to. Uh, We're gonna close here in just a, a number of moments. But I think that this is a good time for us to even begin processing right now. Where are we at in all of this? You see, I think for some of us, we're a lot like Jonah in many ways, but I think one way in particular, I know there's people in this room right now where you are like Jonah sleeping in the boat. And you are trying to flee the presence of God. You're trying to flee his influence in your life. And let me just tell you, you can't flee the presence of God. Scripture tells us that. And so some of us, you know what we need to do? We need to wake up And we need to just go out and face the storm. And it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some consequences of our sin. That's how it works. But we need to have that moment so we then can have that moment where we come into realignment with the way God has called us to be. Some of us, we got to to face it. We got to quit hiding we got to quit pretending like it's not actually affecting us when we're dying inside. As we close, for my daughter's second birthday, we got her blocks. And 
The first few days, she didn't want me to play with them with her. She wanted me to watch, but she didn't want me to actually interact with it. So I'm just watching my daughter. I'm going to just kind of sit next to her, and I'm watching her build these towers, and they're just terrible. She has no idea what she's doing. She's not, at this point, she will not be an architect. I mean, she'll put, she'll put a round one on, and she puts a square thing on top. It doesn't work that way. I'm just watching. I'm like, that's going to fall. Sure enough, topples over. She gets disappointed, and she starts building it up again. Topples over. Start building up. You're not doing anything different. You just keep building up and it topples over. On Friday, this past Friday, I'm watching and she finally looks at me and she goes, help, Dada. I just, of course I'll help. <laughs> but I think God wants to have that interaction with you right now. I think you've been building your life tower. You've been doing it your own way. You've been putting it all together and it is wonky at best. I mean, it's wobbly. It's just all over the place and it's going to crumble. And I think God's just sitting back saying, invite me in to help you. Now it still might topple over, but let me rebuild it with you. You should see the towers that me and her are building now. They're awesome because I know what I'm doing. I know, I understand squares and I think flat things go on top of flat things. It's not rocket science, but I know how to do it. God knows how to build your life. God knows the vision for human flourishing. God put it in his word. And so it's about time that we stop trying to do things our own way and we just submit to his word and say, okay, God, reveal to me my brokenness. Lead me into the time of withdrawal. Help me to face what I have to face. There might be consequences attached, but I know in the long run, I will get to finally live the life that I've always wanted. Thank you. Because is that not what we're desiring? I mean, we want peace and joy and we want happiness. We want fulfillment. We want all these things. And I'm telling you, this is how you get it. It's right here. Here's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is this, that we're going to have this time, we're going to read this passage, we feel good right now in this moment, and we're going to do nothing about it. Pastor Ray was speaking a few weeks ago, and one of the passages that he spoke just really hit me harder than it's ever hit me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, and talks about this idea of Paul saying to the church in Philippi, don't just hear what I'm teaching, put it into practice. So I'm going to passionately speak that over you right now. Please do not just hear what we just learned from the Word of God and just walk out of here and not put it into practice. Can I tell you something? That's a waste of all of our time. And it's not a waste of my time. Like, I'm going to study this thing anyway. It's a waste of our time. Because I believe that it's our time as the church to stand up, to stop believing the lies of culture, to get some critical distance, to quit doing the same old thing, to get into the presence of God and finally begin to walk out the life that he's called us to. But it's going to take practice. You see, the first time you would try to withdraw this week and you're going to do it, it's going to feel weird. You're not going to know what you're doing. I'm going to try to get away and be like, okay, I need critical distance from, you know, culture. Okay, I guess I'll start by standing over here. And then, Father God, what weird 
things if I believe. It's going to feel weird. Can I tell you that's okay? He didn't say, take what you've learned and go be a professional at it. He says, go and practice. It takes time. It takes, you have to learn the rhythms. You have to, you have to process through it. See, that's the biggest worry is that we practice it and it doesn't quite do anything right away. So then we just walk away from it. Let it take hold of you as time goes on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going back to what God has asked of you. So I want everyone to just stand up for a moment. And we're going to go in two minutes, but I want to sing the bridge of reckless love one more time. And here's why I want to do this. The bridge of that song that we sang this morning says this, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Now here's the truth. There's no shadow you won't light up. Why is the shadow there? Here's the deal. When Jesus gave himself up on a cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. We now have free access to God through Christ's death on the cross. If there's a shadow going on, it's because you've brought stuff into the equation. So God wants to light that up. It says, mountain you won't climb up. How did the mountain get there? He didn't put it there, you did. You kept doing things your own way. You kept building your own tower. And now you've got this mountain in front of you. But he says, listen, I will climb up it. You just have to invite me in. There's no wall you won't kick down. How'd the wall get there? You put it there. He didn't put it there. Christ tore the wall down. There's no lie you won't tear down. He spoke truth to you. If you're, if, if you're operating in a lie, it's not from the Lord. It's a lie that you've believed. He wants to tear it down. So Father God, right now in this moment, as a church, as a family, we come together and we say, God, reveal to us our own brokenness, our fears, our anxiety, Father. I pray as we declare these words out that you would light up those areas in our life that you want to process with us, that you would light up those mountains, that you would begin the climb, that you would meet us where we're at and you would lead us into repentance, you would lead us into restoration. Father God, I pray that we would not be a church that listens to your word and does nothing with it. I pray that we would practice it this week. Help us to withdraw. Help us to commune. Help us to have these times of contemplation. Lord, help us to be the church that you have called us to be. Church, let's sing this together. Never ending, relentless
practice this week. Let this moment continue on.